Kia ora and konnichiwa. It's so great to connect with you here on HAP for an interview because I've been a longtime fan of yours. And I have to say thank you to you for all the support that you've given me to get on to HAPS, as well as buy me a coffee, as well as even before that in Periscope. How are you feeling now that Periscope is kind of dwindling, I guess you could say, or becoming no longer? Yeah. Hi, Pablo. Hi, Gina. It's actually, um, it's not worrying me at all. I'm feeling like I am, maybe the um, the world has shrunk a little bit for us. We haven't got all those thousands of viewers that we would have had, but I'm feeling like the universe is there and we're actually like a real little bubble in the middle of it. So I'm not worried at all about it. Um I'm happy I started broadcasting on HAPS a few months ago and I've been building up my YouTube as well. So I'm feeling very comfortable about everything, actually. I'm happy with the way it's all going. Oh, that's great. Um, one How of you the, <laughs> Yeah, one of the things we're going to try to talk about today in our hour is some ideas for sustainable tourism. And I, I in New Zealand and, and Japan, uh, now, you, how did you get started doing your travel guiding? Tell me a bit of so, your backstory. Well, <laughs> it's a long, long story, and it's the same story. One door, one door closes and another door opens. Um, so I was in the, I was in the clothing business for many, many years, and I had my own shop from nineteen eighty. Two, no, 1983 until 1995. After that, I closed it. I went to work in an English language school and I did marketing there. I got a lot of opportunities to travel and meet people. I worked there for 11 years and had a year overseas in Korea where I taught cooking and English classes. Um, came back to New Zealand and gradually got involved first with somebody else in their tour company who, when I said, would you like me to invest some money in this and we could do it together, he said, no. He said, thanks, but no thanks. And I said, okay, that's fine. I'll do my own. So that's how I started. So I built it up um, from about 2007 to where we are today. So this is the most sustainable form of tour guiding, of course, here online at the moment. Yeah, so still being possible to bring the world to me and me to the world. Hi, everybody. Kath, there's Kathy. She's another um, travel person. Brenda, fantastic. <laughs> Sorry, I get I get a little bit sidetracked here. <laughs> no, no, it's, that's one of the one of them as you're doing it. Uh, that's wonderful, wonderful things about live streaming with travel. Yeah, you're so good, good at it. Oh, good. Yeah, I look very pale for some reason. I'm not pale. I've just been out in the sunshine. <laughs> And it was lots and lots of fun. So each week it's something different. We go somewhere different and I have a different a different tourist join me. That's a wonderful so idea. So again, we can, we can travel together. Yeah, I love, I love awesome. that. I love that. Um, so that's also something people can book from you, kind of a private tour. And give so I do, a, I, do a private, I do a private tour on Buy Me A Coffee. So I do that each week. That's the following day. And I 
sometimes I'll, it depends where I am. I can do two a week, but one a week is sort of enough. And I have a maximum of three guests that come on there for, it runs for about 30 to 40 minutes. So of course we get a coffee, <laughs> usually at the end. And a lot of these people that have, um, are doing these buy me a coffee tours with me are actually people that toured with me in New Zealand within the last three or four years. So they've come, they've come on board. There we go. That's where we were oh, yesterday. We went there. Yes, this week's walk. That was it. <laughs> and I had Alan Natalie from Vancouver, and we were there, and we were able to meet the guy that had made their coffee for them last year. So, you know, it's sort of I'm bringing back memories and good times and also showing that we've got a future for tourism. Yeah. Well, that's that's a wonderful idea. And that's definitely something we could also apply in Japan. So reconnecting back with visitors, going back to shops that we visited together or places we visited together after their trip, following up. I love that idea. Or even like Absolutely. a pre-trip, a pre right? Someone yes. who wanted to come, but because of coronavirus, they can't come. Um, you can give them kind of a preview of what they might be able to see once travel resumes, right? Yeah, exactly. And then afterwards, um, I send them a postcard. So it has a nice New Zealand stamp on it and postcard just to say thank you for joining me. And the same would be my tourists. So there's a little bit of a follow on from there as well. That's fantastic. Uh, let's talk about some of the places that I, if I did a virtual tour with you or actually visited you in New Zealand, I would want to go, is that let's talk about the farmer's markets. They're so uh, yes. Yeah, we do have some great farmer's markets. Um, I'm, I'm a great believer. Yes. Yeah. This is, so I'm a great believer in farmer's markets, and I've got several around me. This one here that we're looking at now is the Parnell farmer's market they only do food and drink um, they do alcohol once every couple of months they do a craft market as well that they have inside and this is really great because there's a the limoncello there it's really really delicious I took this photo the first day that he was there and it's proved to be a real success and he's in quite a few markets now so these farmers markets, of course, they're just one for a morning. So people come from very, very sustainable. People come with their own vehicles. They don't have truck deliveries. Come with their own um, own vehicles, transport everything, set it all up really early in the morning, and they're just there for four or yeah, probably about four hours. And usually they've sold out. So you've got to get there nice and early. So yeah. Oh, Bobby, kia ora, nice to see you. Tears, awesome. <laughs> Cheryl. So great Bobby, to see a lot of your regulars signing on today yes, and, and watching. This is great. Yes, I hope everybody will follow Joy. Um, because, oh, Alyssa, fantastic. I hope you'll all follow Joy because she does great stuff from Japan and she's showing cherry blossoms and you know, it's sustainable travel. It's the way we do it at the moment, walking and picnicking and doing things. So mm. yeah. thank you. Thank you so much, Louise. You're you're always such a great support. I really appreciate that. Um, going going back to the farmer's market. So it, it looks like some things are still packaged in plastic, which is kind of unfortunate. Uh, we see that a lot in Japan as well. 
Um, but a lot of it doesn't have plastic, so you can just buy it and put it in your own bags. Which you just, is you just, I usually take my own bag. I try not to use um, the plastic. It could be if it's raining, they're probably protecting some of their um, some of their items. The the one that's in the middle here with I think that is in the in the um, boot or the trunk of a car mm -hmm. and that's a roadside stall so he's obviously that's for ease people just stop pick yeah. it up buy it pick it up and it really and makes it easier I understand you know plastic is easy um, yeah and even our supermarkets offer so many problems right um, yes. At one of the markets, though, they had their own unique bags, which I'm showing yes. now, your photo. That's a great idea to have like a reusable, uh, maybe biodegradable. So after you finish using it for a while, you can put it in your compost heap or whatever. Yeah, well, you probably could. This is a Hessian bag, and I think they're probably made to last quite a long time. And I actually did buy two of these. He gave me a nice discount because I'd live, live streamed the market. And I did buy two, and I sent them to some fabulous friends that have followed me since the beginning of Periscope, and I wanted to reward, reward them with something, something from New Zealand. So they've both got one of these bags, which was awesome. This farmer's market where the bag comes from is, oh yes, so the picture above it is the same market. So that is their fruit and produce is really, really amazing. Some of it's quite delicate, so that's why it's packed in these plastic bags. But these plastic bags are also, it's soft plastic, so that can be recycled as well, which is really, really awesome. Um, but this is a permanent site for the farmer's market and it's open I think it's Thursday Friday Saturday Sunday so it's part of a community where in the old Air Force buildings which have been repurposed about 40 minutes out of Auckland and they've repurposed all these buildings and it's in um, this, a great community there with lots of cafes and restaurants and we don't need to drive there we can get the ferry up to the top of the harbour and the ferry just comes in right there. So it's really, it's quite a great little um, space to have something that is dedicated solely to food. Yeah, that's wonderful. And I want to talk in a, a minute about all the amazing local produce, which you can't really I, I can see your message, yes. In, in <laughs> other areas. Um, Sorry, but can you just one, one thing about the plastic wrapping, uh, is yes. if it's not biodegradable, we found in Japan, there is no recyclables of plastic. It's a big problem around the world. But there uh -huh. is some uh, plastic being made from plants, which is biodegradable or compostable uh -huh. and breaks uh -huh. down in water or dirt. And a few shops in Japan are now starting to use that, but not Jay. quite enough, yeah. right? We, a lot of... Um, a lot of things that we're buying here, including Coca-Cola, it has a has a message on it um, saying that this has been made from recycled plastics. I'm not sure whether that's a soft plastic or what it is, but we are getting a lot of containers um, and bottles. It's kind of a, a it's misleading because yeah. what is actually being recycled is less than 10 percent. So yes, useful to last me for a while. So I can't show you a real live one, but there they are. That's great. That's so important. Mm. We need, we need, especially now during Corona. And I don't know, you guys have had a lot more freer time in New Zealand than a lot of countries, and I think in Japan too. 
Um, not as many shops and everything have shut down as other places have, but the small and medium-sized businesses have been really struggling. A lot of yeah. less business, right? Same, same here. Same here. Um, on Be My Tourist this week with Dave, we actually went into my old shop and we met Heather. Um, and she sells all the beautiful crafts and things that are, are made um, here in New Zealand. She's been there. She took over after me in 1995. So she's been there all that time. After I finished I'll Be My Tourist, I went back and had a chat with Heather. And she told me she's just getting ready to start the grand sale. And she will be closing on the 9th of March 2022. So she's having a very, very long sale. <laughs> but yeah, she can't. It's it's not sustainable for her any longer. So, oh, which, is, so which is a shame. It's mm. so hard and so sad. And I see more shuttered uh, shops now as I walk through small towns. Yes. And I'm just hoping that they're taking a break or like some places are doing remodeling, getting ready for when business returns. Yes. But I'm, I'm sure there's a lot that just won't be able to reopen. Exactly, yeah. And I think often of, you know, all the little places, the little coffee shops and places that I used to visit in Japan and the lovely little couple of very special little clothes shops that I love to go to. I hope those, those people are all um, able to keep going as well. I mean, one of them is in Narajuku and probably with not many tourists going there, she may be struggling a little bit, but um, who knows? Mm. Well, hopefully locals keep everybody going. Fingers crossed that the government can give support for these places to reopen and to have some financial support to keep going. Yes, um, there has yeah. been a lot of support, yes. But it's, you know, everybody's still got to live, you know. We're not doing too badly here. We've had, we've locked down a lot harder than you do, did in Japan. We, our first lockdown, absolutely everything except the supermarket was closed. Even the independent fruit and vegetable um, sellers, markets, butchers, only the supermarket was allowed to open. Um, so we did lock down really, really severely and we were only allowed out for essentials. So, and that worked. Um, and then we've had a few mini lockdowns th since then. But at the moment, we're COVID free in our community. So we That's are amazing. Yeah, we're virtually normal. <laughs> uh, one of the other shops I wanted to talk about, which is really unique, and I'd love to see more of this in Japan and around the world, um, is the Repair Cafe. People doing ah, yes. So that's Undu Cafe there. So that's just around up the road from me as well. And I've got to know these people. They're from Iran and they run this cafe. But also she's very passionate about um, her repair cafe. So they do have a Facebook page. And once a month they have a repair cafe. So they have people come in to with sewing machines and tools and you can bring in your clothes that need repairing or your broken machines or your computers or your phones. You can bring all of these things and there's no guarantee they'll be fixed, but they do the best they can. The sewing seems to be really popular because sometimes it's just a little button that needs to go back. There's no charge for that, but we um, they just ask you to leave a koha. So in New Zealand, a koha is a donation. So they just have a little donation pot there and you can put in a couple of dollars. Yeah, But it's lots of fun. 
it's really, really great fun. And the cafe is still operating downstairs. And then you go up the wooden stairs and then they have the repair cafe up there. So once a month and the next one will be the 10th of April. So That's I'm sorry awesome. none of you can come, but I might bring it to you. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's such a great idea because I think there's a lot of people very conscious of I just have this one thing that's broken on something or I yeah. love this this top, but it's a little bit ripped. Um, yes. But we don't really have the know-how or we don't have the shops that we used to have yes. that used to repair all of this stuff. But that's now right. everybody wants to use the same thing longer, but we don't have the connection to repair people anymore, right? Exactly, exactly. And, you know, these are they're usually older people that are there that are doing the repairing. So they've got a box of tools and they, you know, they love tinkering around. And and actually, it must be so satisfying to get something going again for somebody. Yeah, absolutely. I'm starting to see more repair shops around here. Um, also, companies like Patagonia, they always oh, yes. have a repair area inside their shops where you can get some advice how to repair the jackets or things that are from their shop that need a little bit of work. Um, the idea of using things longer, so not just cradle to grave, but cradle to cradle, reuse it over and over again is definitely the best Absolutely. way to go. Yeah, yeah. I went to a wedding, um, I think it was the end of January, I went to the wedding. And I wore a dress that I had bought in, I can't remember exactly when it was, but probably around 1998. <laughs> and I bought this dress, I was going to Thailand and I bought this dress and honestly, I've probably not worn it a lot, but every time I get it out to wear it, it is just perfect and it still fits me. <laughs> that is, you know, and that's great. I haven't had to do it, it's never been repaired and okay. it's still absolutely my style as well so you know okay. I'm I'm glad I've kept some of the things not worn them too often so they haven't worn out and it's been really good to get it and I'm very proud of the fact when somebody says wow I love your dress and I'm able to say well wow, it's from 1998 <laughs> that's wonderful mm -hmm. and I was talking to a woman in Osaka Taylor E the other day who she's focused on sustainable fashion and one of her event ideas is to have a reuse uh, free cycle section where people can exchange clothes, um, but also have a dye section. So someone who knows how to do natural dyeing. So oh, maybe good. you like this thing, but you want it to look a bit fresh. Mm -hmm. So then you take it to the dye section or yes. they also have a seamstress at the event. So if you need alterations or fixing something, you can also bring your things yeah. and repair it there. So it's not just exchanging old clothes, but yes. it's a little bit more exciting. What a great yeah. idea. It's up, it's upcycling. Yeah. Upcycling, you know, a tuck here, a tuck there, and hey, it's all new. Fantastic. I love it. Uh, let's talk a little bit about your time in Japan because I love to hear the perspective of people who are introducing tours or travel to Japan from other countries. You have such a fresh perspective and you did spend some time uh, living and traveling around Japan. Let's talk about that a little bit. Okay, so I first visited Japan in 1983 and I've been every year, if not twice a year since then. And yes. <laughs> That's wonderful. Fuji, Fuji, Fujisan, yes. Yeah. I had a day there with um, 
the last time I was in Japan, oh no, second to last time I was in Japan was Jean-Jacques from, um, from Canada. He was there with me. So, yeah, I've been lucky enough to spend a lot of time in Japan. My two sons live there. Um, Sam's been living there probably now for about 20 years. And they're married to Japanese girls, and I have four grandchildren there. So I feel I've got roots in Japan as well. Um, I can't say my first trip to Japan was very sustainable, um, but it was great. Um, I, was, I had my shop at that time, and I wanted to go and buy clothes and buy fabric. And of course, we arrive in Tokyo and we're booked into a hotel and everything's marvellous, but we've got no idea. We're walking in Ginza and we're seeing all the flash shops, but that's not what I wanted. So I bought a magazine in one of the stationery shops or somewhere, and I took it to the reception at the hotel and I said, can you tell me where I'm going to find these clothes? And they had no idea at all. So for three days, because it doesn't tell you, it just gives you the, the brand of the clothes and how much they are. It doesn't say which shops are stocking them. And we walked for three days and eventually we found ourselves in Harajuku. And that was where we wanted to be, absolutely. And we found La Foray and all these other amazing shops and designers and um, Comme des Garçons and... And, oh, lo, what did I, I just went crazy. Condé's Gasson, I bought a jacket and a top and a pair of pants in <laughs> 1983. I've still got the jacket. The jacket's amazing. Yeah. Hey, if you if you buy high quality things and you intend to use them for a long time, that's also very sustainable. And that's a big attraction of some of these higher end brands is yes. that they are made very well. And yes. they do last. You have yes. to pay more but it's very different from fast fashion where you buy and then you throw it away quickly. That's um, right. You can use it for generations. You can pass it on to your kids, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, and, when you yeah. think about if you, if you, uh, if you divide the number of years into the cost of the garment, it's, it's virtually nothing. Yeah. So you're really getting your money's worth out of, out of something. And if you look after it and, you know, hang it nicely always and keep it nicely aired out and get it out occasionally and admire it and just put it on and walk around the house, you, you still enjoy it. Yeah. Uh, one of the things I wanted to point out from these photos is all the outdoor activities, the outdoor beauty that you can do around Japan. Um, any busy area, any busy tourist area like the center of Tokyo, um, there's always back streets you can choose. Um, seeing Mount Fuji from Shizuoka around Mount Fuji is actually a lot more beautiful than on Mount Fuji. So getting out to open spaces, I think this is the future of travel all yes. over the world, but definitely in Japan to yes. explore these kind of out of the city areas where you have great natural views, but still popping into the city, doing some things that you want to do, like shopping or dining or staying in hotels. Exactly. But so it's, it's not hard to get out, right? Yeah, that's right. So there's some really beautiful places in Japan. And as we all know, because we've seen everybody's show, showing them to us. And I mean, one of the things are the rooftop gardens. The rooftop gardens are amazing around Tokyo, and it's just a matter of finding out where they are and how to get there and what hours they're open, and you can take a little picnic lunch up there. 
but also now when I'm when I am escorting people around Japan, I always stay in Shinjuku, and I never Shinjuku's never really been a favourite spot of mine, but I always stay there for the convenience because most trains that we want to catch leave from there. There's always somewhere to eat. It has these beautiful um, hidden spots, but it also has all the busy, all the um, the you know the flashing lights as well. I'll just digress for a moment. Everybody, if you haven't seen on Netflix a new, I think it's a new show and it's called The Midnight Baker. Not, not Midnight Baker, sorry, Midnight Diner. Watch it. It is amazing. It's set in the back streets in Golden Guy and it's about a guy who opens a little restaurant every night from midnight until 7am. He has one dish on the menu. Watch it. It's amazing. And I, it's just... It makes me feel as if I'm in Japan, all the people. But anyway, I digress. No, no, that's perfect. That's in a perfect segue to something yeah. I wanted to talk about, um, is that longer opening hours is also really key for post-COVID travel. So uh -huh. like one of your photos, you've got daytime cherry blossom viewing, probably in Kyoto. It's quite a famous place. And then okay. nighttime yes. as well. Yes. yes. So having these light up, events at beautiful scenic places even if it's not cherry blossom season if there's yes. nice water features and trees and traditional shrine or pagoda or temple it's scenic enough to really draw people and then you can spread out how many visitors are there at the same time which is more sustainable exactly and it's not just for one night you know it'll be over a week or two weeks while that season yes yeah, so you can plan a little bit ahead and you can walk there you know you can walk everywhere in japan which is amazing so or just rent, rent bicycles a lot of the rental bicycle companies in japan um yes. it's really nice especially somewhere like kyoto where things yes. are kind of spread out yes um, it's actually really nice to cycle around or walk around yes yeah yeah and you know kyoto it has all the very famous temples and palaces one of my favorite areas, I can't remember what, it's where the um, the Oilans were. Oilan? Oilan? Is that the, another form of geisha? It's near the, near the fish market in Kyoto anyway, in that area. I love just, it's near Hanazono, and I just love getting off the train there and walking through all those back streets and these, these fabulous shops yeah. with handmade pottery, and they'll, they're serving coffee inside, and they're talking to you, and that's the sort of travel I love. I, you know, I can skip a palace any day <laughs> for a walk and a coffee and well, a chat. I look, I look forward to when we can use technology in a way to help us avoid crowds as well. Yes. Um, for example, when you're using Google Maps to find somewhere, it should know how many data is being collected on certain streets, which means that that's busier. Mm. And it should suggest you take a back street because yeah. I love back streets in Japan. Me, I love they getting are so interesting. And there are there's no reason this one busy back street is any more interesting than the next not busy back street right so it's always worth taking a back street that's exactly a great i love getting lost in japan i yeah. love getting lost because you know you never you know you're never lost really because you just walk a little bit further and you're going to come to another subway station so it's getting lost is one of the best ways to travel i think mm. yeah absolutely
Yeah. Um, let's talk about food a little bit. When you're uh, in Japan, it looks like you were at a hotel eating a buffet. And uh, buffet is always very attractive for people uh, staying in hotels. And this one had a great view. It looks like big windows. This is, this is the Park Hyatt in Tokyo. So this is where Lost in Translation was filmed. So I, and with my tour, I always include one posh lunch. And we have a choice between the Park Hyatt Hotel or Tofu, Tofuya Ukai, I think it is, which is in Roppongi near the Tokyo, not Roppongi, no, it's near Tokyo Tower anyway. I'm losing, I'm losing it as far as Japan goes. I need to get back. <laughs> no, no, no problem. That's why but I'm I love, here. I love Ask the Park me anything. Hyatt. Yeah. <laughs> I love the Park Hyatt. I love hotels. I really love hotels. I'm not a fan of Airbnb at all. Airbnb works for me if you're going on a holiday and you want to stay somewhere for a week or two weeks and you want to be comfortable and be at home. I love hotels because they cater for travellers. Hey, why not treat yourself occasionally? It doesn't need to be expensive. Hotels, you know exactly what you're getting. You don't have a big cleaning fee at the end. And, you know, it's, yeah, hotels are fantastic. And they were purpose-built for, for travelling. So the it other thing about Airbnb me, I is... Thought, I thought this hotel might be the Nippon Daira, uh, no, which is an area, uh, it's only about an hour by train from Tokyo. And it has a beautiful view of Mount Fuji and the bay below. And it has these big windows next to the buffet. Um, definitely having places with natural light. Yes. You know, that yeah. saves a lot of the energy cost. Exactly. But it's yeah. also, it's, it's more comforting and more comfortable and yeah. not feeling like you're in an enclosed place. Yes, yeah. And this buffet is really, um, well, it's very sustainable as well because you actually, you order a main. So they have five or six different um, dishes that you can order and they're beautifully presented. And then the buffet is the the starters and the salads and the dessert. So there's not a lot of wastage in terms of big bowls of food. And I like the idea that something is cooked fresh for you rather than just sitting around waiting for you to eat it. I'm not sure with COVID because buffets have sort of gone out of fashion a little bit now. I'm not sure how they'll be how they'll be managing. But yeah. they Park Hyatt have also been very kind to me with live streaming. Nice. And yeah. they've let me walk around and show the kitchen and show the food. And they've been, and then they started following me on Twitter and they were retweeting everything. So I've been um been really lucky with with them so i've been lucky with everybody really it's been great yeah that's great i'm loving nice. seeing all your comments everybody <laughs> yeah wonderful comments really enjoying seeing everybody here um one of the things that i always look for or i do some consulting with hotels and accommodation sometimes is try to have loads of local veg local fruits um coastal fish or yes stream fish which is yes. more popular in japan uh not using the fish from the big trawlers which we all know is a problem around the world uh not having so much imported meats if yes. you do have meat uh maybe having some wild meats mm. they have mm. a real thing with wild boar in japan mm. there's too many 
in the forest and mm. in trouble for residents in rural mm. communities or farmers. Um, so wild boar has yeah. become more yeah. on the menu. Yes. Um, yeah. Things like having refill areas for water bottles. That's in right. your room, having a refill glass bottle instead of a plastic bottle. Mm, There's mm. a lot of small things that hotels can do that really mm. have a great influence and impact. Yes. So, yeah, no, that's fantastic. Actually, one of my um, daughters-in-law, her father has a gorgeous, both the father-in-laws are involved in food. One is in the fish industry and the other one has quite a famous restaurant up in Shiojiri. So... And, of course, I have never said no to any food that I've ever been offered in Japan. I've eaten everything. So don't don't worry. I, and I can eat everything. Um, so you can imagine all the things that I've eaten. I've always, but because I love offal, um, just can't remember the Japanese term for it now. But, yeah, so I'm, I'm off Yeah, orumon, it's called. Yeah. Um, yeah. I see here you've got a kaiseki. It might yes. be maybe vegan. Is this shojin yori? It is, yes. This is in Koyasan. Beautiful. And I just talked to an author the other day who talked about uh, forest foraging culture in Japan. And she went to a restaurant that was famous for bamboo in Kyoto. And she had 11 courses featuring different kinds of bamboo shoots. Oh. Amazing. <laughs> wow. Gorgeous. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I know. is really popular. Did you enjoy it? Such a beautiful place. So I do. I yeah, I um on my because with my little tour I do a two week version and then there's an extra week added on a third week. So the third week includes a couple of um, nights in Kuiasan, and those little fellas there, the Jizo, <laughs> the Jizo. That's it, the Jizo. They're on um. Flower Island, Nokonoshima, just out from Fukuoka. Nice. Mm. Yeah. So they're, they're, they're really special. That's a lovely place to go. There's Narajuku. Oh, you're taking me on a journey. <laughs> good, good. I'm glad to remind you of all your great visits. Um, yes. one, one thing that I love about the stone statues that you see on the roadside like this, um, they are the guardians of travelers. So they are supposed to be protecting the travelers. As nice. they travel around Japan, which is a wonderful thing. So, oh, um, the, the tiny back streets of of a rural town you've got there. Where was that? That's gorgeous. Yeah, I can't remember where that was. I've got a. I can't remember. Yeah, I have to go um, back through my of, photos and see where it was. Yeah, a lot I've of got... rural towns look like that, and you can see the old classic wooden. Uh, buildings that have been remodeled a little so, bit. Yeah, that, that, yeah, the street is Narajuku. Uh -huh. um, and there's some great coffee shops there. And, you know, it's, whoa, I love going up there. I've been on the bus, actually, from Shiojiri up there. And the bus was amazing because it went in all the little side streets and dropped, dropped all the little old ladies off with their shopping. And then I'm the last person on the bus and I didn't know when we'd arrived and he was trying to get me off the bus, <laughs> but it was wonderful. Yeah. Well, it's wonderful to see that some of these old rural towns are still in use and the investment is being made to restore some of these old buildings because they have so much unique appeal 
And yes. if they're just demolished and new buildings are built, there that whole destination lacks appeal. I yes. also love the street tiles. It looks like old roof and tiles were yes. put onto the road. Yes, yes. I just can't remember where that was. But Narajuku is really interesting because, you know, they're behind those facades. Well, they're not really facades, but the front of the building. But actually, there are people living there. And the one thing that actually spoils the town are the little vehicles driving up and down because you'd love it to be a walking street. But of course, it is a it's a living street. It's where people are living. So they need to be able to get in and out of their homes. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. And I'm just so happy when I see that the reuse of things that sometimes you see in a town, you see the old buildings kind of. Uh, falling into pieces and then nobody's reusing these ornate designed yes. you know high quality pieces that you can use in other ways so it's so yes. nice to see innovation people putting it down into the path or using it on different parts of the house I love that uh -huh. yes yes yeah no it's it's got a great atmosphere up there and the lovely little river that runs through and they've rebuilt the the arched bridge that's that area up in Nagano is really historical and you know last time with Jean-Jacques when we were there my son, my son came with us so he was our driver and we borrowed the father-in-law's flash car <laughs> and off we go to Narajuku and on the way back we went into another little area and there were all these uh, 5,000 year old buildings um, thatched thatched buildings in the oh, history yeah. they rebuilt the town but you know it was, had originally been five thousand years old anyway at the end it was uh, i was just blown away and at the end of the day when we get back to the restaurant and we're sitting there having dinner and all the locals are there and we said where we'd been and they just looked at us and they went you went there <laughs> they were so surprised and yet because to them it is absolutely nothing it's always been there it's just part of their culture to us it was amazing it was just gorgeous that's wonderful. And yeah. it, how can you not respect something that's still standing after 5,000 years? That's exactly, amazing. Exactly. Yeah, all clay and thatch and, yeah, it was really, really gorgeous. Mm, yeah, I yeah. talked to, last Friday, I talked to David Osaka, and he was visiting a village outside of, well, in Fukushima Prefecture in the Tohoku area. Yes. And it had that thick thatched roof really thick for insulation and you just don't see those anymore yes but a lot of them have lasted a very long time yeah, yes yeah 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 they do need a bit of maintenance though mm. and um, we have new new ones here. so yeah. you have to have a combination of stone uh yeah. instead of too much dry wood around right yeah there we are in osaka i'm with keizo there Keizo took me into, he's taken me, Keizo always meets us in Japan. Oh, we went there. He's met a lot of my guests. And, um, yeah, we went to this Buddha. Isn't this gorgeous? And you um, you take some of the water and you put it over, make a wish and, and put it over. It's just the most amazing, magical little place. No, you would not be able to find it unless um, a local person actually took you down these. Because even the walkway there is amazing, going down this really narrow alleyway with all these gorgeous old paintings on either side. Wow. Thanks, Keizo. <laughs> 
That's wonderful. Um, yeah, a lot of these, you know, small backstreet finds the best cafe with the owner who has an interesting story, the yes. best small temple you would never find in a guidebook. These yes. are all reasons to have a local guide or make connections with local people who can give you a little mini tour, even a virtual tour. So I always recommend to people, especially on your first trip to Japan, yeah. Uh, or maybe your second trip, because your first trip, you could just do the big sites and yeah. use guidebooks. But maybe if you want to scratch the surface. Yeah. You know, I, I always different. give people I always give people a choice. So, yeah. you know, with the museum, like if we're in Tokyo, do you want to go to the National Museum in um, Wayno? Or would you like to go to the Edo Museum? And I explain a little bit about one is going to be like glass cases and it's all very traditional. The other one is a model of the old Edo town of Tokyo. They always go for the one that is not not quite so traditional. So, because the Edo Museum is a great experience. Most people don't want to spend hours in museums anyway, especially if they're tourists. Yeah. If they're travelers, that's different. Travelers yeah. will put aside time for that, but tourists just want to have a, a bit of this and a bit of that and a bit of that. So um, mm, it's some great exceptions that I've seen recently, a bit of innovation in the museum tourism kind of uh, motif, uh, places which are traditional tourist, uh, traditional museums, but now they've added a wagashi chef who uh -huh. makes fresh Japanese sweets in the cafe in the museum and they have a beautiful view of the rock garden which they've created these big glass walls yeah. so if you have a bit of innovation mm. in these traditional places mm. you can really start to offer a very unique experience that's not just about visiting a yes. old museum to learn about history I mean, yeah. who really wants to do that during their short visit to Japan or anywhere, right? That's but right, yeah. Make it like an experience, oh, let's go have tea here mm. or let's go have a Japanese suite. It's really special. Yes. Oh, there's some interesting exhibits there you can also look at as kind mm. of an aside. Mm. It helps bring people in, right? Yes, yeah, that, that's right, yeah. Can I just share a couple of things with you? One is I want to, my first visit to Japan, I want to share the most unsustainable thing I ever bought, <laughs> which is I bought this in Matsuya, which is a fabulous department store in, I've actually got two of them. And I bought this in Matsuya on the design floor, I think it might be the eighth floor, and it's an espresso, um, I've got two, cup and saucer imported to Japan from Italy wow. but I fell in love with them so I had to have at them. Least, so I bought them at least it's glass and metal at exactly it's not plastic yes. I would say that's not too bad in terms of sustainability <laughs> ah, but it's it's the the travel miles so I it wow. traveled from Italy to Japan I bought it and it was came packaged in a nice box and I brought it back to New Zealand and I get home and I un, unbox it and what do I have two cups and one saucer <laughs> oh no so I, oh, that's I had funny. to i had to write a letter this is 1983 i had to write a letter to my friend in japan and say i've only got one saucer so her father had to go back into matsuya 
and tell the story. He was very angry. I don't know with me or with the store. <laughs> I bet they sent it to you though, didn't they? And I got the second saucer had to be delivered to me here in New Zealand. So now I have I have the complete set. And I will treasure them always. But that was the most unsustainable traveled cup and saucer. I, I would disagree. You know, I mean, they know that if you're buying lamb in the UK, some of the more sustainable lamb comes from New Zealand. I don't think sustainability is always clear cut. It's uh -huh. really case by case. But in terms of not buying plastic, in terms of buying something you're going to use and love for a long time, you made a good choice. Good for oh, you. Oh, good. I don't. Every time I use it or look at it, I think about you know it's got a great story. That's yeah, that's it. yeah. And yeah. and it it's a display of wonderful service in Japan, which yes. usually you can expect everywhere. Go yes. above and beyond to please yes. the customer, right? Yes. But also, carrying on from that, I have been to a lot of weddings in Japan and a lot of special events. I always go back to that same design floor to buy my wedding present for somebody. Very nice. So, wow. yeah. so I'm get yeah. married again if you're buying <laughs> gifts. <laughs> and as in terms of sustainable packaging, you had an example of cross buns you bought this morning. I want to see. Oh that. yes, I just wanted to wish everybody a um, happy Easter. Because yeah. it's Good Friday here in New Zealand. So I've been to my fabulous local bakery, which is called Daily Bread. Can we see there? Daily. Yeah. Lovely. Yeah. And I've bought six hot cross buns. These are delicious because I bought six last week. So, um, And it comes in this lovely box with a little clear cellophane um, window. Ingredients, flour, water, raising, currants, sugar, butter, egg yolk, gluten, spice mix, orange juice, and rum. <laughs> Store in a dark oh my goodness. place at room temperature. They're and not your normal hot crust buns, right? Yeah, and keeps for seven days. But <laughs> the, the local supermarket on TV last night was saying they cannot keep up. They've been making thousands and thousands of packets of inferior hot crust buns. <laughs> which are just walking out the door and this bakery does a limited amount each day so lucky enough to get a box today to share with you all <laughs> and, they are delicious and I, I love that you know like I love the work-life balance of bakers who make a lot but once they sell out they close up their shop and they go have a life that's because right. I talked to Lee Utsumi, a baker in Japan the other day. She's up from 3 a.m., you know? Yes. So yeah. it's wonderful to hear that a bakery will sell out and then they'll go and take a nap or enjoy their day. Look at that. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that note, that's our hour, Louise. Thank you oh. so much for joining. It's been fantastic talking to you. I want to say thanks to all the viewers. You're all great. And I've been able to read your comments, most of them, but I haven't, we haven't been able to respond because Joy, this has been fantastic and I'm full of joy. <laughs> Good. Well, I really get so much power from your energy, from your live streams, and from your introductions of so many wonderful places in New Zealand. I hope we can meet up someday in Japan and do some walking tours and insight tours together. That would be yeah. wonderful. Yeah, absolutely. 
everybody never turn down a walking tour. You can get on that big bus, but won't take you anywhere. Never turn down a walking tour. I've got great walking tour stories for another day. <laughs> well, we'll have to do it again sometime. Yes. Thank yes. you, everybody, for joining. Thank you for your wonderful comments. Thank you so much, Louise. Everyone have a nice weekend. Happy Easter. Thank you so much. Thanks, everybody. Bye for now. Thank you. Bye. Bye for now.